0: I saw the vision, and as I watched, I was in the fortress city of Susa, in the province of Elam. I saw in the vision that I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up, and there was a ram standing beside the canal. He had two horns. The two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, and the longer one came up last. I saw the ram charging to the west, the north, and the south. No animal could stand against him, and there was no rescue from his power. He did whatever he wanted and became great. As I was observing, a male goat appeared coming from the west across the surface of the entire earth without touching the ground. The goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and rushed at him with savage fury. I saw him approaching the ram and infuriated with and infuriated with him. He struck the ram... "'shattering his two horns, "'and the ram was not strong enough to stand against him. "'The goat threw him to the ground and trampled him, "'and there was no one to rescue the ram from his power. "'Then the male goat became very great, "'but when he became powerful, the large horn was shattered. Four conspicuous horns came up in its place, "'pointing toward the four winds of heaven.' From one of them, a little horn emerged and grew extensively toward the south and the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew as high as the heavenly host, made some of the stars and some of the hosts fall to the earth and trampled them. It made itself great, even up to the prince of the host. It removed his daily sacrifice and overthrew the place of his sanctuary. Because of rebellion, a host, together with the daily sacrifice, will be given over The horn will throw to the ground and will be successful in whatever it does. Then I heard a holy one speaking. Another holy one said to the speaker, How long will the events of this vision last? The daily sacrifice, the rebellion that makes desolate, and the giving over the sanctuary and the host to be trampled. He said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be restored. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there stood before me someone who appeared to be a man. I heard a human voice calling from the middle of the, of the Ulai, Gabriel, explain the vision to this man. So he approached where I was standing, and he came near. I was terrified and fell face down. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision refers to the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I fell into a deep sleep and with my face to the ground. Then he touched me, made me stand up and said, I'm here to tell you what will happen at the conclusion of the time of wrath because it refers to the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat represents the king of Greece and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king. The four horns that took the place of the shattered horn represent four kingdoms. They will will rise from that nation, but without its power. Near the end of their kingdoms, when the rebels have reached the full measure of their sin, an insolent king, skilled in intrigue, will come to the throne. His power will be great, but it will not be his own. He will cause terrible destruction and succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the powerful along with the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and by his influence. And in his own mind, he will make himself great. He will destroy many in a time of peace. He will even stand against the prince of princes. He will be shattered, not by human hands. The vision of the evenings and the mornings has been told is true. Now you must seal up the vision because it refers to to many days in the future. I, Daniel, was overcome... And lay sick for days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was greatly disturbed by the vision and could not understand it. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good afternoon. My name's Ed. I'm one of the ministers here at church, and uh, what we just had read to us is um, down the more sort of obscure, funky end of, uh, of bits of the Bible. And so we're going to have to work a little bit hard this afternoon, Uh, but there is gold for us in Daniel chapter 8. I had a minister who used to say to us, treasure worth having is treasure worth digging for. And so we're going to have to work on this, and let's pray and ask God to help us as we come to understand what he wants to teach us from Daniel 8. Let's pray. Father in heaven, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your Word. Reward our work in your scriptures today by teaching us deep things about you and deep things about ourselves. Amen. Do you worry about the future? I do. I was thinking in this last week, what's happened? Uh, North Korea has um, exploded a nuclear weapon. Uh, we have a quarter of a million um, a quarter of a million refugees in Myanmar have fled to, uh, to Bangladesh. Uh, we've got an earthquake, uh, an, a magnitude 8 earthquake in Mexico. We've got ni- 7 million North Americans fleeing uh, from Hurricane Irma. Uh, I'm not sure if you've been reading about uh, the different discussions about the same-sex marriage debate. Uh, many of the discussions go on to think about the, the implications of making these decisions. Uh, I read this week that in a state uh, called Massachusetts in, in America, where it's been legalised for 10 years, uh, that there was a father of a kindergarten child who was imprisoned, uh, who was arrested and imprisoned because of his refusal, uh, or his insistence, sorry, to to have the school inform him when his kindergarten child would be educated about same-sex marriage. Uh, and and he, he wanted the right to be able to pull his child out of that class, and uh, he was refused that right. That's scary, isn't it? Our future, it's a scary prospect to think forward about. We live in a crazy world. And uh, last week, Paul taught us from Daniel 7 that in spite of appearances, in spite of what we see going on, God is in control. And I think we're okay with that. I think many of us believe that. But the question that Daniel 8 asks and the question that probably we're asking, is that if God is in control, when is history, human history, going to tell that story? Well, Daniel was asking this very same question, and God's answer to Daniel left him confounded, overcome, and lying sick in his bed for days. God's answer is our big idea today, it's up here above, above me. It's that evil will have its day. Evil will have its day, but God will have his say and God will have his way. Last week, Paul gave us some excellent advice about uh, reading apocalyptic, that is revelationary um, material in the Bible. And one of the pieces of advice he said was don't press the details too hard. But the, the, uh, the reading that we just had, Daniel chapter 8, it would be great if you have that open on your laps in front of you. Daniel 8, page 821 or 22 in your Black, black Bibles. Uh, what we've just had read to us by Andy is actually one of the clearest pieces of apocalyptic literature we're ever likely to read. And that's for two reasons. One is because the angel Gabriel came and gave an explanation about the details of it. And secondly... Well, we sit on the other side of history from this. And we can look back and see how the details were played out on the pages of human history. Well, the thing is, is that the the vision foretold of many historical details. And it foretold them with such accuracy that many have doubted that this could possibly have been written by Daniel in 550 B.C there is no way that Daniel could have predicted with such accuracy the events that would play out over the next 400 years. But remember, we're not dealing with the words of Daniel here. We're dealing with the word of God through the prophet Daniel. And it's nothing for that God, the God who created the world by a word, to tell us with that same word the details of the future that will come beyond Daniel. Uh, You know, for Daniel, the thing that amazed him wasn't that God knew what was coming in the future. Uh, This is actually the third time Daniel had received a vision or glimpses of what was coming in the future. The thing that amazed Daniel and the thing that should amaze and perhaps disturb and perhaps perplex us is what God was going to allow to happen in the future. Rampaging and ruthless rulers... ...would be allowed by the God who is in control to sweep across the face of the earth... ...seemingly unchecked and unaccountable, unstoppable, wiping out nations... ...proud and arrogant kings, they would rise up even against God himself. They would trash his sanctuary. They would trample on his people. They would tarnish his name. But in the case of each and every king and kingdom that would rise up... ...a pattern would emerge... This pattern, the pattern above you, evil would have its say, but God would have his say, and God would have his way. So let's jump into the vision and explore what God tells Daniel it will look like for him to still be in control of history, even though it may not look like it. Chapter 8, verse 1 begins in the third year of Belshazzar's reign. Remember that this writing jumps back a few chapters in Daniel to the events we've had before. And it does make me think that perhaps Belshazzar was a particularly difficult king to live under. Proud, arrogant, insecure, he was a king who would soon be weighed by God on the scales and found wanting. Well, the vision begins in verse 2 over the page that Daniel was in the fortress of Susa. This is a uh, political shift. Uh, uh, This city would soon become a significant political city in the kingdom of Persia. So already, signs are happening that there's change in the air. A change that's confirmed in verse 3 as Daniel looks up and he sees a ram standing behind the canal with two horns. The angel Gabriel tells us who that ram is in verse 20. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia, he said to Daniel. Well, uh, the... The, the horns grew, the latter outgrowing the former, that is, the king of Persia rising up above the Medes. And the ram was charging to the north, to the south, and to the west. This vision, it foresaw the conquests of Cyrus of Persia. He conquered the Babylonians in 540 BC. Cyrus was an unstoppable king. His kingdom would have its day. No one could stand against the great Cyrus, Cyrus the Great. No one could rescue from his power. His dominion extended to be the largest kingdom the world had ever seen. Verse 4 concludes, Cyrus would do whatever he wanted and become great. That's what it feels like, isn't it? When you read or listen to the news, it just feels like these rulers are unstoppable. Who's controlling Kim Jong-un? Who can stop Robert Mugabe in his dictatorship in Zimbabwe. Who can restrain Boko Haram in northern Nigeria? But at the same time, the words that we just read, he did whatever he wanted and became great. Well, some alarm bells should go off for us, shouldn't they, in Daniel? Because everyone else who's become great in Daniel, everyone else who's exalted themselves, have been brought low. And... Just like the ram would have its day, God had had His say. In verse five, He speaks of a male goat who appeared, coming from the west, across uh, coming from the west, sweeping across the earth. It would take two hundred years, but historically, in the year three hundred and thirty BC, Alexander the Great, the first king of the Greek Empire, would sweep across the earth. Verse five informs us that he came, the goat came, without touching the ground, zooming across the earth. And that's what Alexander did. He conquered almost the whole known world. Have a guess how old Alexander was when he had conquered most of the known world. Anyone know? 30. 30 makes you wonder what you've been doing with your life, doesn't it? The guy had swept across the earth by the age of 30. Alexander shattered the ram's power. He shattered his horn, and that word "shatter" is an intentional word used in this vision. It comes up again and again, because though the Persians were formidable and unstoppable, the true nature of political power is that it's actually brittle. Powerful, powerful, could hold anything, and then, like pottery, tsh, shattered on the ground. If you don't believe me, take a look. What happened to Alexander the Great in at age? 32 in verse 8. Verse 8: When he became very great, very powerful, the large horn, that is Alexander, was shattered. Dead at only 32. Many suggest that Alexander was poisoned. Well, after him and many years of fighting, Alexander's generals raised up and his kingdom was divided into four kingdoms. Four kingdoms. Can you believe that what God said is played out on the pages of human history just as he said uh, sorry, 300 years prior? Uh, you know, the future can be very scary but I hope that you're comforted by that fact that God knows. God sees. God's not taken by surprise. Our own apocalyptic book of the new testament the book of revelation titles that uh, entitles god as the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end the god of all of human history he knows all he sees all and all is in control he will have his say and though history seems random and chaotic to us it's working out according to god and his purposes well it was from one of these four kingdoms that Alexander's kingdom broke up into, the Seleucid kingdom, that the third and the most prominent um, figure of this vision emerged. According to this vision, he was an antagonistic horn, the little horn of verses 9 to 12. In history, we know him to be Antiochus IV Epiphanes. The title Epiphanes was one that Antiochus gave to himself. Epiphanies means God made manifest. You get a sense of what this king was eager to to accomplish in his life. He rose to power in 175 BC. Verse 10 predicts some of his accomplishments. He would grow as high as the heavenly host. He would throw down stars from heaven. Remember that promise made to Abraham right, right at the beginning of the Bible? Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. Well, Antiochus was going to destroy some of them. He was going to throw them down and trample on them. What else? He made himself great even up to the prince of the host, that is, the God of heaven. In the year 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes set about single-handedly seeking to eradicate the worship of the living God from the face of the earth. In Jerusalem, he removed the daily sacrifice and he overthrew the place of God's sanctuary. This is what Antiochus did. He dedicated the temple of Yahweh, the Jewish temple, to his God, the God Zeus. He set up an idol with which to worship his God in that temple. And then he took the altar, the altar that God had given his people to make them clean, and he sacrificed a pig on that altar. An absolute insult to the Jewish people. An unclean animal of a pig sacrificed on their altar that was given to make them clean. He cut up the temple scrolls. He threw truth to the ground, as verse 12 informs us. He was successful in whatever he did. He killed, it's a thought, up to 100,000 of God's people in a genocide-like attack on God's land. How shocking. How long. How long, asks one of the angels in the vision. That's the space that we live in, isn't it? We see rulers rising up, turning against God, seemingly trashing and trampling him and his name. But I was, um, I was rebuked this week by an angel. Uh, I was rebuked because when I think about suffering, when I think about the, my fears for the future... My great fears are for the effect it will have on myself. My great fears are for me and my offspring and and my comfort. What was the angel concerned about? How long, he asks in in verse 13. How long and what's his concern? How long will the daily sacrifice be dormant? How long will this rebellion that makes desolate endure? How long will the sanctuary be given over and the host be trampled? Well, the answer to this question is where the comfort in this chapter lies. It's a disturbing comfort, but it is still a comfort. A long time in the future, but there is an end point. God has appointed an end point. Verse 14, for 2,300 evenings and mornings. Now, that might mean. 2,300 days, around seven years. Uh, symbolically, a time, uh, a time indicating completeness, fullness of measure. Or it might mean 2,300 morning and evening sacrifices, so three and a half years. Uh, the exact amount of time that Antiochus Epiphanes uh, had a reign of terror over Jerusalem and Israel. Well, Verse 25, God said that whichever time it was, There was a time that God had appointed an end for Antiochus. Verse 25, have a look. Halfway through, he will destroy many in a time of peace. He will even stand against God, the Prince of Princes. Yet he will be shattered, just like the rest, not by human hands. Antiochus Epiphanes met a premature death at 164 BC. It's thought that he... Um, suffered a bowel disease that turned him mad, that drove him mad. His demise, just like his temporary dominance, were all under the reign and rule of God. Friends, evil will have its day, but God has had his say, and God will have his way. The vision that Daniel was shown uh, referred to a time many days into the future, and it spoke about two ends. It had two ends in mind. The first end that it had in mind were the ends of all these specific rulers who would rise up and rule and reign and rage and rampage. Each of them had an end, didn't they? Similar to the rulers, despots, um, uh, dictators of our own ages. I think about the ends of Saddam Hussein, found in an underground bunker, uh, executed at the hands of the people that he'd oppressed. Or terrorists like Osama bin Laden, his end came um, hiding out in an apartment and then buried ingloriously by being thrown into the ocean. Uh, That is the ends that that, uh, Daniel was shown, the ends of these rulers. Uh, But not every ruler will face their end like that, will begin to see justice in their life. And that is why the great end, the final end, is so important for us. It's so important, an end that Daniel was told about, the end of times. This end of times would also be announced by the angel Gabriel, Uh, announced by the angel Gabriel to a woman by the name of Mary, that she would have a son, and this son would reign on the throne of his father father David. Uh, he would reign and his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. Well, what did it look like as he grew up? Evil had its day, didn't it? Evil had its day and the rulers of his age rose up against him and they trampled on him, they tarnished him, they trashed him, they put him to death. But God had has his say and God had his way. He rose again, defeating, conquering Their great victory, conquering them in their day of greatness, conquering death itself. God had his way. The end times were ushered in as Jesus walked out of his own grave and we now live in the end of times. We live in those times and God has told us that he's installed his king on the throne. His king will be an everlasting king. And have a look have a listen to I will read with me uh, the final verdict God say on what will happen at the end of human history. Revelation chapter 6 verse 15. This is the verdict for those who stand opposed to God's king. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the military commanders, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? We often think that if God is in control of history, wouldn't he be winning in history? Wouldn't history tell the story of God's triumphs? Well, history shows its winner when the pages of history stop being written. When the book is finally closed, God has had his say and God will have his way. God will triumph in the end, brothers and sisters. God has appointed an end for all those who might rage and rampage against him. And that end is to be a comfort to you and to me as we live in the midst of a world that is raging against him. Do you worry about the future? God doesn't worry. God is in control. God uh, will have his say. Evil will have its day, but God will have his way. Friends, be like Daniel. Be courageous. The God who has told you the end will be faithful and true to you as you live in the chaos and the uh, confusion of human history. Let's finish with prayer. God of heaven, it does amaze us that you would let the kings and rulers of this earth rise up against you and seemingly triumph over you and over your people. Give us courage to live for you in the midst of a world that rages and rampages against you. Thank you that you have appointed an end. Thank you that we know that you will triumph when the history books are closed. Help us to be found with you on that great and last day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.